So. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, wait. This is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. This is the thing? This is the one. Absolutely. And now it almost couldn't have happened in a better way. Where did you want to be? So it was just like, ah. Oh. <laughs> am I funny? Now if I go over here, am I still funny? Better strategy. Yeah, a way better strategy. I never thought about that. Yeah, it's a work. I don't see it five years from now that you're not my most famous friend. You really have to commit to something. Good to have some appreciation. That's cool. That was really cool. Yeah, it might have been cool. This is On the Cusp. Hello, I'm Ben Green, and welcome to On the Cusp. This week, my guest is Gilly Nassim. She is a fantastic improviser on the UCB house team Winslow. She is a great actress who can be seen on shows like NTSF, SDSUV, and Children's Hospital. And she's a much-in-demand writer, currently working on a variety of projects for Defy Media. In addition to all that, she is a party animal and somebody I feel very lucky to be friends with. This episode is sponsored by Thai Pepper at 6219 Franklin Avenue, now featuring their famous seafood plate for $7.95. Thai Pepper. If you pronounce it backwards, it's repep iat. But no matter how you pronounce it, it's delicious. It's Thai pepper. So one of my favorite parts of my interview with Gilly was when she talked about meeting people that you look up to while you're still in the awkward assistant E stage of your career. Later on in this episode, you'll get to hear her tell a fun story about having that kind of thing happen with Judd Apatow while she was working as a CBS page. Hearing her tell that story made me think about a somewhat traumatic thing that happened to me early on in my time in L.A. when I interviewed for an assistant job at the management company Odenkirk. Um, Odenkirk is run by Naomi Odenkirk, and she is one of the coolest managers out in L.A. Uh, if you're a comedy person. She represents uh, Bill Hader, Kristen Wiig, Jenna Fisher, Bobby Moynihan, and so many other amazing people. So when I sat down with Naomi Odenkirk to interview for this assistant job, I really didn't want to go over my past experience with her and talk about being a coordinator on a dance competition game show or being a personal assistant uh, to an E! News host, which really meant just being a babysitter to the two kids of an E! News host. Um, I wanted to say, hey, you should be my manager. Uh, I, I think I might have a chance of doing cool things in the comedy world someday. Read the scripts I've written. Uh, come see me do an improv show. Take a look at my sketch packet. But those are not things you're allowed to say when you're interviewing for an assistant job. You have to say things like, I'm a hard worker. I know how to use Microsoft Office Suite. Yes, I know how to roll calls. And as much as I might have wanted to in that interview, I couldn't ask her the questions I really wanted to, like, how did it feel being an integral part in getting Jenna Fisher her role in The Office? But not getting to ask my Jenna Fisher questions wasn't the worst part about my interview with Naomi Odenkirk. The worst part was that The Office had an office dog, and as I was leaving my interview, uh, that office dog ran right in front of me, and the trajectory of the step I was in the middle of made it so that I kind of kicked the dog. The dog let out a little yelp, and then I said something that I immediately regretted, which was, Oh no, I kicked your dog! Um, I can very clearly remember Naomi Odenkirk turning to me from her desk and saying, 
you kicked our dog, which was also the moment I knew for pretty sure that I wasn't going to be working as an assistant at Odenkirk. But that's okay, uh, because I think I've come a long way since my dog-kicking days with Naomi Odenkirk, and Gilly's come a long way since her uh, unpleasant experience with Judd Apatow that you'll get to hear about later on. Um, so now, without any further ado, here's my interview with the incredibly funny, uh, incredibly fun, Gilly Nassim. miss college a lot aspects but not a ton what when we were leaving college a lot of people were just I'm always excited for the next phase I don't want to really harp on the past too much I mean I enjoyed you know a good nostalgia session but uh, I don't want to harp on the past too much and I don't want to wait for some future too much either living in the moment like I, I don't, I'm not so good at living in the moment, but I'm really good at living in the, like, week. <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if you've heard it a lot, but I feel like wherever I went, all I would hear from people, like, I went to the summer camp, like, oh, man, you should have been here last year. Like, last year was so fun. Or, like, a DCM, like, oh, man, last year, last year was so great. And it's just, like, I'm very happy that it was always great, but it felt for a long time like I was always coming like the year after the good year. Yeah. Uh, And it just is like, I kind of don't, I don't want to hear, I don't want to hear that anymore because I don't, I can't have that year. So let me enjoy this year. Let's find a new thing to enjoy this year instead of trying to like recreate whatever. So college was so fucking fun, but I got to move out here with all of my, like literally all of my favorite friends from college came and then a lot of my other favorite friends were still in Santa Barbara so I could see them easily so I don't I don't miss it I miss sometimes getting to just make out with people (laughs) I miss that how do you actively live in the week now (laughs) it isn't like a life philosophy it's not something I've I've like practiced but that's not your bumper sticker it's not my bumper (laughs) sticker I have no bumper stickers right now that bumps me out I want to get a few bumper stickers uh I think my main thing is I want to have one thing to look forward to, like one like cool, you know, show or getting to be in some shoot, no matter how big or small it is. As long as I have that to look forward to, then I feel like everything's good. So like in a a near future thing to get to enjoy, like a career thing or like a party or whatever, like I feel like I can like do my work at hand, but I'd like to have something. How much do you feel overwhelmed by like, ever having too much to do in a week? (laughs) I think pretty often. I am constantly piling stuff to do. And I like, I'm always tired. But they're not all productive things. They're, you know, a lot of them are just social things to try to like balance it. But just sitting in my living room, not doing anything feels insane. And I do it very rarely. And when I'm doing it and someone walks in, I feel like I'm like, oh, (laughs) like I have to look busy or something. But that's so stupid because everybody needs to do nothing for a little while. But do do you mind not having that much time where you're just like completely out of people's eyes? 
like like living with roommates, it seems like uh, there's there's right. always some amount of scrutiny um, on what you're doing. Mono finally told me that he would love it if I'd let him know where I am. Sometimes, not all the time, but I did I. That is something I, w- I would do in college because it was like a bunch of girls and that was just like natural for us. And since then, I, I've lived with two two male two different male friends from college and then Jess McKenna, who was almost never home. So even though we got along really well, like I didn't know where she was, she didn't know where I was. So I've gotten out of the habit. It was actually really sweet because I will I come home. They know I have a job, so I'm the first to leave in the morning. Sometimes usually sometimes Betsy lives before me, but like usually it's me, and then. I'll go straight to a show or, or straight to hanging out or straight to whatever, or I'll go sleep at my parents' house because they don't live very far. And so sometimes I don't come home until like four in the morning or sometimes I don't come home until nine after, you know, the whole next day. <laughs> yeah. So when he said that, I was like, oh, thank you. You worry, you worry about where I am. But I have no That's problem. interesting to know that about you, that you don't always sleep. At... I don't always sleep at home. I also sleep on friends probably in the last, like, Two years that has gotten very rare, but before that, I would sleep on friends' house, friends' couches all the time. We did that a lot in Santa Barbara, and then because we all moved out here together, I would sleep on friends' couches all the time. Because it just gets late. And it gets late. It's the We're easiest drunk thing. probably, and it's the easiest thing. And maybe we'll go get breakfast in the morning, or. But yeah, I've slept on all of my current friends' couches. I slept before I lived in that house. I slept on their couch. I've slept on. Jason Justin's couch many times. I think I've, I've slept on John and Dan's couch. It's just nice. It's cozy. No, it's really nice. <laughs> and feels I, good for those friendships. I'd sleep the shit out of this couch. You may. <laughs> just say. All right. <laughs> I have fish. I have dinner. Have some fish. Okay. Go to sleep. D- okay. Well, let's just do this interview. At you convinced me. 7 a.m. I feel this is this is not uncomfortable, but it's very weird. What? Just this exchange. I don't know. That you may sleep on the couch? No, just being interviewed. Oh. It's just weird. Um, what do you think is weird about it? Uh, I don't want to say I haven't earned it, but I haven't earned it. But I think your idea, this whole show is so great, so it makes sense. It's just It's just weird. Yeah, none of, us, none of us have earned it yet. That's why we're not going to we be will. asked. The hope is that we will. The hope, um, yeah. yeah. I feel like... I feel like there's some, some winners in the bunch. And then the whole thing that, like, how much it will make somebody, like, somebody's mind blown if it's ten years from now, mm-hmm. and you're, like, basically Tina Fey, and they go, like, she felt like she... Wow, it, it's crazy to me that there was ever a time that Gilly felt like she hadn't earned it. Yeah, I'm basically Tina Fey. Or, you know, minus 10 years. <laughs> is, younger Tina Fey. Is that who you want to be? Do I want to be Tina Fey? Yeah. Yeah. Not ex- I'd rather... I, I, I like Charlie Kaufman, too. Um, Remind me what Charlie Kaufman He made Being John Malkovich. Oh, and like sure, Adaptation sure, sure. and those things. Oh, awesome. I think that the thing that seems... that's not perfect to me about Tina Fey is that it's all comedy. I want to do more than comedy. Hell yeah. Me too. Hell yeah. I want to do live theater. Is there somebody who is exactly who you want to be in, or like a fusion of people? I feel like uh, no, not, no one is coming to mind, but probably someone like a, 
this is a lame example now, but like uh, Catherine O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's a perfect career to like. Yeah, wanna perfect. Have. And I feel like she could go do a play, and I mean she probably does. I'm not entirely certain, but uh, she I think did do mostly comedy. But if she were in a drama, I don't think it would be weird to anybody. I bet too she goes places and isn't mauled. Yeah, it's just That's exciting to people. A hundred percent the dream. Uh, unless there's a very, very attractive man, <laughs> or woman, not man, who, you know, s select people, the cool people recognize you and uh, want to have a wild orgy with you as a thank you for your <laughs> service to society through the arts. Is there something fun to you about the idea of being a secret uh, famous person as a writer? Like, um, just just in terms of, like, being out at a restaurant and like people not knowing what a famous like that they would know your name but they don't know you by sight it's like so many things of my desires for the future are totally hypocritical i want to have all of the success of being on national television on the side where people are constantly calling you to do stuff um you know other like huge people want to work with you um sort of like the security if anyone has it that would come with that but then to have nothing change about my life <laughs> um i don't know if mary told you about it at all but um i worked at sasha baron cohen's place too yeah and i worked for ben stiller and i worked on children's hospital and i could see the children's hospital people are not famous to the world and then those other two guys i'm both of those guys have gotten too big I'm sure they're very, especially Sasha Baron Cohen, like, such a talent, so smart, so interesting, so gifted, but, like, they've gotten too famous, so they no longer can appreciate what it takes to live a life. And for them, it takes, like, a team of many, many people. And I don't think it's their fault, because I was part of the machine that turns them into babies. Mm -hmm. But, uh... That is so unappealing to me. Like it's it's, and I, I think they would agree that it's unappealing, and they don't wouldn't even recognize that that's what they are. I don't. I don't think. I don't. I bet you can be thoughtful and keep the lifestyle you want. I think so. But it's probably very hard. I think it's definitely definitely possible, and they are they are part of you know partly to blame absolutely, but uh, it's not appealing to me to be to be so big where you become an industry to people. Um, but yeah, all all the all I want I want to be as big as it takes to just like get asked to do stuff all the time. What is the like ideal level for? Do you get recognized for commercials? No. Do you want to be sometimes? Mm-hmm. That sounds nice to have it like happen. It would be just like yeah. a fun little surprise. Yeah. In the day. Have you been recognized? Um. For like UCB stuff, but at UC, cool. at UCB events. In college, we were on. Um, I did this short form improv team. Yes, me too. And, uh, was it chips? Mm-hmm. Awesome. I'm considering going to that festival, but I don't... You should. I don't... So fun. It's just so hard to plan that far ahead, but it's possible. Um, and we were the only one on campus. Later, there was another one that was created, but it was by the BFA kids, and they... Nobody went to those shows. Like, literally, nobody went to those shows. So, we would sell out this 150-seat little lecture hall... It was very cool. We would 
sometimes people would come up to us and like give us like hey improv and give us shots it was the coolest fucking feeling that was i won't even call it celebrity but my first like taste of like recognition it was so cool and people would come up to me i also was like you know out at parties all the time and you meet people constantly in college so they might know you through that i worked at a bagel shop that was the only breakfast type place in iv for Every time that somebody recognized me from improv, five people recognized me from working at the bagel place. <laughs> so that was like, I, I would start to get excited because someone would be like, hey, where do I know you from? And I'd start to just, mm, well, you must have seen me killing it at Buzzers and Bells. And then it would be like, Bagel Cafe. And that was, I was way more famous from Bagel Cafe in college. But a little famous from short form. A little famous from short form. Uh. <laughs> You were born in uh, Los Angeles? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I think it's so funny. You hear the, no one's from LA, but of course they are. <laughs> they have to be. You think I was alone in high school? Nobody's ever been born in LA? <laughs> they had a whole staff of teachers and a principal just to educate me. No. Um, but to be fair, it was it's the Valley, so it, people don't think of it as LA proper, but it was definitely LA County. <laughs> and what did your parents do for a living? Uh, my dad is an, a mechanical engineer, and he... Is that impressive? That's fancy. <laughs> okay. Um, he... most The community that they raised me in, of their friends, all of the men are mechanical engineers, and all of the women are doing something involved in education. It's pretty weird. So your mom's a teacher? My mom was a Hebrew school teacher for a very long time because she didn't have her U.S. citizenship. She had a green card. They were all, you know, legal and stuff, but... uh they're both from Israel. And uh, for some reason, she just waited a super long time to get her citizenship. She, to this day, can't give me a reason. Uh, but then she went and got her master's degree in career counseling and is now a career counselor at LA City College. So she's like a professor counselor. And my dad owns his own business called Sheer Tech, And he invented a few weird little machines and pieces that go in other machines and has the patent for them. and. He runs a small business in Chatsworth. Can you give an example of one? Yeah, this is the one I always give because I think it's it's my favorite thing about being an inventor. Um, well, there's two. One, he invented a printer that can print very close to the edge of a piece of paper, which is valuable for like dating, court documents, or I think lawyers buy that machine more than anybody. But maybe there's a lot of other uses. But you know, most machines they need the like border. And then the one that I think is so funny is uh, this machine that it basically looks like a bookend. Like I'm trying to think of something that looks like it, but it's just a, a piece of metal, like a slat of metal uh, that goes inside of an ATM. And it's a part of every ATM. His isn't a part of every ATM, but every ATM has a, a little piece where when the checks go in, they go into the slot. And if the checks don't go in perfectly, one could get jammed, and then the ATM, the whole machine breaks down. So he invented one that literally just vibrates a little bit and does the same thing that you would do if you had a big stack of papers and you took them in your hands and you, you know, tap them against something to just make them all level. All it does is vibrate and prevent. That's that. great. It's so small, but it's like, oh, that's a, that's a good idea. Did he do a lot of taking you into his laboratory when he was... Yes, by calling it that's really funny, but I guess that's fair. Um, yeah, he always owned a warehouse in Chatsworth 
um, he's like moved around but in the same complex. So we would go in a lot. Everyone in my family at some point would go in and, and do work. Like I would do sort of assistant-y type things when I was really little. And then when I was older, he did not trust us when we were when I was little. But when I was older, he we would put parts together, like very menial, like this this little metal clip gets attached to this plastic tube and you just, you know, <laughs> conveyor belt type stuff. And nothing you could get hurt doing. No, 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 it's not. Uh, all of these machines are made by hand. It's not a factory like that. Like, it's it's still a really small business. Cool. But he employs, like, five people or something. I think so the same kind of, like, conveyor belt stuff you might do in a factory in China. Yes. But there's no actual conveyor belt. There's no machine happening. There's just humans making the machines. Um, so, yeah. But uh, I was only doing the, you know, really low-level stuff. I don't know how to make <laughs> any of those machines. And then my mom was, like, a celebrity in the neighborhood. Like, I feel like everybody whose mom is a teacher has had that experience when you go to the supermarket. There's people who are seven and then people who are, like, 37 who will come up and just be like, Miss Ariella! Because <laughs> uh, she was a teacher for a really long time. I also feel like Winslow, I'm starting to realize, is, like, the team where everybody's mom was a teacher. Maybe. Uh, Really? Yeah, that might be true, and maybe none of us ever put it together. We did put together that all we all have, like, a dad issue. My dad is, like, in my life, but uh, he's crazy, but he, like, loves me a bunch. Yeah. So that's, I guess, one of the better versions of the, a relationship you could have with your dad. But all of us have, like, dad stuff. <laughs> Different kinds. You said your dad is crazy? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> And yes, I did, Ben. Are you comfortable uh, going into uh, yeah, how um, he might be crazy? I'm comfortable, but it's incredibly unsatisfying to talk about it. And I've been talking about it more and more, and I can't find the way to make it satisfying. And I guess the answer is it just never is. Let, let's try to make it satisfying. Okay. Well, uh, maybe we can't, though. And that's okay, too, I think. <laughs> What's your definition of satisfying? Um, well, let me step back. Like, is satisfying, like, after you've talked about how crazy your dad is? Oh, Therapeutic. Therapeutic, but also I think things are therapeutic if someone can connect with you on it. And I don't think it's anyone's fault, but I think mental illness is just a really shitty thing to talk about. Uh, especially when the details for my dad's case and my family's case are everything's... It's so easy to just wrap it up and say everything's fine. The man is running a business, like a successful business. He drives a car. He is married to my mom still. He expresses his love for all of us constantly. So th those are like the basics that I think you need from a parent and that y he needs in society. So he is lucky. Like, you know, there, there is, <laughs> that is a, a good, at, at least more isn't going wrong in his life and in our lives. But, uh, he, he grew up on a kibbutz in Israel. Do you know what those are? Mm -hmm. So his specific one, I don't know if it was the case, but I'm pretty sure it was a common thread around the time when he was born. It was just a really great time to be a kid. People were just like, we're looking forward. We just got out of concentration camps. Most of the kibbutz seem, that's plural, um, were comprised of people who had no family. They had no skill. They had nowhere to go. They were just like refugees, basically clumped together and they'd build their little mini societies. So when my dad was born, it was sort of a triumphant, like, we have survived and we will move on. So 
it was fun to be a kid and he thinks of that time so fondly. But then when I got way older, like 21, I started to like find out things about his childhood and about their family that was like crazy. Um, no nothing, I bet you most people, you know, I feel like nobody is unscathed, but it was just like, hey man. <laughs> not everybody has the baggage of the Holocaust. Not everybody, now. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so he was raised by these like crazy people. They're good people, but they're crazy. They They went from that to immediately trying to build a life. So everybody started coupling and, and having kids, which I think they would have done anyway in that time, like when you're that age. But uh, but like not dealing with this insane thing that happened to them that they will continue to bear for the rest of their lives and also having no family. And then he was like raised by those people, um, by a, a community of those people because they raise you communally. When you're born in one year, you live away from your parents in a, like a like a nursery with all the other kids that were born that year. And your parents like visit you sometimes. Uh, none of that is like Trump. None of that alone. It's no, just like, that's how they probably, they do that. It's probably more communal living in a lot of good places. Yeah. And I think it's a cool idea, but just none of that is what I think like messed him up. Yes. Like his dad was a philanderer. His dad died in the middle of having sex with someone who wasn't my grandma. Uh, and then like all the like various characters in the kibbutz, like, one guy like used to beat my dad, like an adult man used to beat my dad up all the time. Things that he still will say with like a laugh, but now we're just sort of like, mm, okay, okay. But he moved here and has since felt incredibly guilty about not living in Israel and about not raising his kids in Israel. He's become more religious, um, all, all kinds of things, uh, stemming from like, he has just like clinical depression and like, uh, deep anxiety. So we've said like, move back, but he can't move back. But I don't want to be here. Well, then move back, but I can't move back. Well, then, you know, so, uh, he's just like a hard dad to have at times. Uh, it's, but it's like way harder for him because he's deeply unhappy with any choice that he has. It's a bummer. <laughs> That's why it's unsatisfying because you can try so hard to like make sense of it yourself and explain it to people. But then when they meet him, he's healthy as a horse peak physical condition. And I wonder sometimes if you can make someone mentally ill. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't, I don't know if those things that happened to my dad are the details are the symptoms of his, or not the symptoms are, are those just the, the particular details that we fill in as he goes through this stuff or are they the things that caused it? Like if, if he had a, a childhood like a lot of my friends' parents had growing up in like a small town in Illinois, and then they, you know, moved to Kentucky. You know, like I don't know, a more typical upbringing in a nuclear home. Would he still be depressed at this time in his life? I think maybe not. With different details. I think that I think it's like you have a trigger for depression, and then it's whether or not uh, you get beaten and stuff like that yeah. that makes it more likely to turn on. Yeah. Because my mom did not have a good childhood either. My mom was also raised by two crazy people who had just come back from the Holocaust and faced absolutely insane. Like, I can't even believe sometimes. Like, I'll, I'll make jokes on an improv stage with the rest of them about the Holocaust and stuff, but, like, sometimes it's like, whoa, my grandparents... Like, it's not far away that my grandparents had to go through something I can't even fathom. If I try, my brain whimpers and deflates to understand. My mom was raised by those two people and they were actually like 
mean. I try to forgive them because of, you know, what they went through. And I think they were probably so messed up. They were probably so, so, so messed up. But they were mean to my mom. But she's the better adjusted one. So, I don't know. Yeah, it's very, it's so hard to figure out. <laughs> yeah. It's really hard to figure out. And it's Maybe, I wonder if she might be, uh, like, not well adjusted if she had great parents. Um, and I'm I mean, not, she's not. still like a kooky lady. Okay. So, you know. <laughs> Let's not get too far. It left, yeah, it left its mark. But, uh, just yeah, not maybe, as bad as maybe if she had great parents. Yeah, she, she's just like more sad. I, I'm basing it on, he's just so unsatisfied, which is such a bummer, because he's worked so hard, done so much, and like, now, the, now he should be able to do whatever he wants, and he can't do anything. My mom is at least like satisfied. And I don't really relate to that, um... Like, the dissatisfied, like, I can't understand being dissatisfied because you, you didn't move back to Israel and raise children in Israel. Like, I feel like but I, mean, uh, those I, I would are... be happy if I, like, if I had invented some stuff. Like, yeah. that would be the more fulfilling thing to me than be cool. anything religious. Yeah. So did your parents meet in Israel or here? They met here. Uh, they both went to Pierce City College to learn English and to get the prerequisites to be able to go to other schools. They both ended up going to CSUN. And there was a foreign student advisor who said to my dad's best friend, Avi, hey, there's this girl who just came from Israel. Can you take her out? And, like, just for coffee to say, you know, like, welcome her to the United States. And he did. And it was my mom. And he came, the Avi, my dad's best friend, came home and was like, oh, man, she's too tall for me. <laughs> Isn't that great? Being tall ruined stuff for my mom too. <laughs> but it worked out. And then my dad hung out with her and then they got married. Um, that's very sweet. Isn't it sweet? Married here? They got married here. They always meant to move back. My mom meant to also. Uh, they were getting their degrees at CSUN and my mom, they, they got married. In Israel, everything you start, become a student later because you have to go to the army. So they got married and stuff while they were still in school, but it isn't so crazy. They were like a little older than probably people of their generation getting married because they, everything just gets put off a little longer. They had my sisters and that was a big surprise because it was two at once and they didn't have a ton of money. They're and twins. My sisters are twins. My dad went back looking for work. Couldn't find like engineering work. Couldn't find it. Came back, got some job because he had to, you know, support the, wife and two kids and then they had me and my dad went back again to Israel trying to find so it's like get something going couldn't find anything came back and then he I think probably had an idea for one of his products and then started the business and then you know you start planting roots and then several times throughout my life it was always like this is the year we're moving this is the year we're moving and I put up a stink I'm probably a huge part of why I feel bad about that sometimes but I also, don't because it's what I meant. I wasn't like just doing it to do it. But they constantly were like, please move to Israel. But the fact that they gave me a choice, I was gonna say no. Yeah. And they tried to like, then just say like, we're going, but there was all some reason not to, because I really didn't want to. My dad's business was like doing well, and how do you shut that down? And, and then they just never went. And then they just never went. You could have been performing at UCB Israel right now. That was what my dad always said. Like, you can be an actress there. Which, it's like, I guess so. The Israeli actresses that make it over here 
are not only supermodels, but like mind bending. <laughs> like, have you seen the new Wonder Woman? Gal Gadot? She's Israeli. It's insane what she looks like. <laughs> she doesn't look like a person. It has a lot more to do with that in Israel? No, it's just like, you know. Yeah. Like anywhere you have to be super hot to be an actor. <laughs> but it's just funny to, to think like, if I had tried that route, it's just really sad. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, what were you like as a six-year-old? <laughs> um, I had friends, but when I was home, I, I did a lot of imagining. My mom played a lot of games that involved imagining stuff. So I also started to get into musicals, like school musicals. I know that you like them. I just got a few pretty cool records that are like selections from Fiddler on the Roof and Mame. Very cool. Um, so I'll get me started on Maine. <laughs> I want to get you started so bad. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Um, but I think I was like really um, confident and loud. And I really liked to just like talk to myself in the backyard. <laughs> what were you like? Can you this? draw? Can you draw? I cannot a straight draw. line to... I cannot draw. From that six-year-old to you now? Well, I guess I should say this. I did not know comedy would be... That's sort of narrowing the path a little when bit. When did that first come into the picture at all? I think... I, I was doing musicals at this, like, you know, like... Musical comedies? <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, but I, w I was doing it at a place called Golden Performing Arts Center that was, like, very professional... And I did not get big parts there. And then I met a friend in middle school who was like, oh, we, I go to class act. This place is fun. I get leads. And I went over there and I started getting all the big parts. But we would, um, you know, like small fish in minuscule pond kind of thing. Like I'm not a talented singer or dancer, but I can do what was required of me. Uh, and I'm very good at memorizing. And I would... Uh, all of the lead girls, we were usually like on the older side of the kids that were there. They would have us play the parts that were too tiny to actually give to a kid in the, because there'd be like five casts in the nights where you weren't being Maria in the Sound of Music. I would be contestant number two at the singing competition in wherever, Hamburg or wherever they live. They didn't live in Hamburg. Um, and I had... I like remember distinctly how weird it was because I had way more fun doing one line than being Maria on all those nights. And because why? I got laughs. I would, the line was, I'm deeply moved. And uh, the kid who was playing Max who gave that, I don't remember, I don't even know if they had a name, gave that character an award, uh, Matt Bernstein, that's the mm -hmm. kid's name. He was shorter than me, like everyone was. And, uh, we, you know, the first night we did it, it got a laugh. And then I was like, oh, let's play with the, you know, like do, I would totally directed him, which is not very nice, but uh, he was younger than me. So I felt okay about it. I would direct him like, look to the left, which is going to be like below my shoulder and then do the pan up to my face. And then we got a bigger laugh, you know, <laughs> like we totally played with it. Then I gave myself a unibrow and like had pigtails another night and put on a too small dress and like, that one line was like a huge education in in comedy. Awesome. It was the most fun. And then also at this theater place they would have us do like whose line is it anyway style warm like improv warm ups 
and I liked those as much as I liked being. So in the you're band. doing improv like kind of things from like middle schoolish. Yeah, and I took um, as a freshman, I took an, my first improv class, which was like, you know, improv for Nickelodeon actors. Like it's you know, it was LA, so there was a ton of acting classes, and I I did acting classes all through all through that like after school and uh, this girl asked me to sign up for an improv class with her I don't even know why she thought of it I don't even know like I don't know how she that was the first time I even knew that improv was a thing she dropped out and I loved it and I was good at it in the way that like if you follow the directions of a short form game you can be pretty good at it mm -hmm. and then I took the adult class when I was like 14 so I was in a class and doing scenes with like they were probably not as old as they seemed to me at the time, but definitely some of them were like moms and dads, like yeah. like middle age. Some of them were middle aged, and then the rest were probably like twenty, twenties and early thirties or something. Um, did it feel pretty natural to be doing improv with people in their thirties or later? As a kid, yes, because all you had to do was follow the instructions. <laughs> so. Uh, and it was probably easier for me because when you're little, you don't second guess yourself as much. And I was already used to constantly imagining, like, I don't even know, that's a weird thing to call it. But, like, my mom would just, like, ask me weird questions constantly. And we would play games that involved that. So it it was kind of, and I you're a kid, so it was kind of what I was doing already. Like what? What kind of question? The main thing that people all think is weird so I'll give it to you now. My mom would play a game with me where she was, we ate really, really healthy. Even when I was little, we didn't, like my parents, didn't, we were never poor, but we were certainly like very, very, very modest. Maybe it was poor and I just didn't know, but I don't know. We never like wanted for food or warmth, so I consider that not poor. But uh, they wanted us to eat super healthy, so if I asked for something a dessert, which was very rarely because I didn't even know what some stuff, I didn't even know that some stuff existed. My mom would say like, no, you can't have that, but let's go to the dessert tree. And it was this like made up magical tree that we would go, <laughs> that would like appear and we would pick something off the tree and then we would like talk about what I was having. And I'd be like, oh, I'm having a milkshake. She'd be like, what flavor? And I'd be like, chocolate. <laughs> and then I would ask her what she was having. And if we were poor, that would be the most genius method to just like foster an imagination and also maybe we were, I don't know, and get, you know, like get your mind off of it and turn yeah. it into a game. Also heartbreaking if you like made a movie where that was a scene. It, yeah. Oh, yeah. Of, about a poor family. Like, in like yeah. having opening pretend birthday presents. It's the boxcar children. Opening pretend <laughs> presents. Oh, yeah, that's heartbreaking. Oh, that's really sad. That's basically what it was. Except it was, you know, it was like in the name of health and kids shouldn't have sweets. Uh, and it was fun. Can you tell me some other like defining things about you like that were true of you all through being a kid? Like from 6 to 18, like you were, were you always like not happy about being too tall? Oh, I liked being tall because it was a built-in thing that was unique. I definitely wanted to be unique, but I didn't, I wasn't unique and I didn't know how to be. You know what I mean? Like you I wasn't unique. Maybe I was, I, maybe I was, but I didn't, I wasn't Eating like, all of your crazy food from no trees. And <laughs> <laughs> but that, but that wasn't, that didn't come from me. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
I wanted to be unique really badly and I wanted to be like special and I wanted to there's some things that I found that I wrote that are just so angsty but I didn't have any real angst and I wasn't an artist like I but I very much wanted to be What's the thread in this angsty stuff? It has to do with wanting to be more unique? I wanted to be an actor, but I didn't just want to be an actor. I wanted to be a kid star. And for people to know how special you were. And, and that was the only, that was like the way for people to know how special I was. I wanted to be so talented. I would like sing in the backyard, hoping that somebody would walk by and make me a star. Uh, <laughs> it could happen in LA. It could happen <laughs> in LA, in West Hills, when your backyard faces uh, not at all busy street that is on the other side of a of a park. You're slightly more Some likely executive. than when you're doing extra work. Nope. Nope. Because no, yeah, I guess it's more likely because people would be annoyed at you if you were doing that. But and I wasn't a good singer, so what were they gonna do if they did come? If the right person Rex Harrison came by? wasn't a good singer. Who's that? Uh, from My Fair Lady. Oh, oh, oh. yes, but, but he was a he the... was a hugely talented. Famous actor. <laughs> I didn't really, uh, I didn't really have that. But uh, that's very sweet, though. What you were doing. I think it's pretty obnoxious. But what are you gonna do? Uh, well, uh, well, I think it's sweet. I think just being a kid singing in your backyard, hoping to get discovered, sounds really that's adorable. Nice. That's nice. I also really believed in fairies. I wanted them to be real so badly because if I were magical, it would be special, you know, but also it'd be really fun. I believed in them until way late in the game, like mm, 15. I like really, really believed in them and my best friend believed in them. So we would just have so much. It was like the, the game that we played was like, let's search for fairies and what if fairies it, are real. Is there no part of you that still thinks hope, that some kinds of magic exists in the world? I hope very much that magic is real. But I, I also know that it's not. But what if it is? Every every time I like close the door on it in my head, there's always like, well, I can't help but want it to be real. I think I lean toward it's real. That there really are parts of the world where people are levitating, and um, yeah, where I think interesting things have happened like across human history. I believe it. <clears throat> Inexplicable things that we explain away as best we can with... I think I kind of do... Like, I haven't examined this in a little while, but I do think that pretty hard. I also... Cool. Um, I personally still believe in God, and I feel like the world feels often, like, pretty magical and cool to me. 100%. <clears throat> <I>, um <clears throat> I call myself agnostic because... There's, there's, you know, I feel, I feel like there is, so there's something. Why does a peach taste so good? Yeah, that's enough. Why does my mom love me? You know, like. Is there anything, um, and other than that magical that's happened to you that like is kind of compelling, uh, magically to you? Magical? Yes. Um, the best friend that I had at the time who also believed in fairies, um, one, she and I, like, were super, super close. We stopped being friends, not be for any... She got, like, really into, like, boys and drugs and stuff, which I would get into also, but, like, five years later. So we, we, all, we're, we stayed, like... We ran in completely different circles, but there was... People would try to be, like, what happened between... Like, what was wrong with her? Especially people would ask me about her because she, like, dated and, you know... 
she made a, she left a bit of a trail, but I could never say anything bad about her. Like we always had like this like lasting like adoration, even though we like couldn't really be friends anymore. Um, or couldn't because of the paths we were on. One time she and I like would sleep over at each other's houses all the time. We looked very close to each other. One time I went, I was going to sleep and I heard her laughing hundred percent. I didn't hear her laughing in the room. I like heard her laughing in my brain. And then the next day I was like, what were you, I asked her what she was doing last night. And she was like, I, we, my, my mom let me stay up and like watch something on TV. I was like, was it funny? She was like, oh yeah, I was laughing really hard. I love that. And I know, and I, I'll never forget it. I like, it was a weird, weird sensation. I knew I was like, I heard her laughing. I like tapped into her laughing. <laughs> I've had the thought before, like, what if we stayed best friends? Like, cause you know, sometimes, or at least in movies, which is, it's like a, you know, a, you feed power, power feeds off of other people. I, I feel like, I feel like maybe she and I, I, I never had like a one, I, I had best friends after that, but never the like, just you and were the duo. I never replaced her. I joined, I became the like third wheel on a bunch of different pre-existing duos, but I never got my like main person back. <laughs> that's kind of, that's sad. It's sad. It's very sad. And she is, I don't know. She's literally missing. I, she's alive, but she's like missing and mentally ill and so I don't think I'm going to get her back, but that's sadder for her. Okay, so why, what was the process that brought you to UC Santa Barbara? That's the school? Yes, I went to UC Santa Barbara. I wanted to go, first I used to say I wanted to go to Harvard just because I had like heard that it was the best school ever. And then... I want to go to smart school. Yeah, I'm smart. I want to go to smart school. Uh, but then by like eighth grade, I stopped saying I like not only stopped saying it, but I stopped wanting it because I was just like, oh no, I don't, I don't want to have to live the life that would get me there. And then NYU, all I ever wanted was to go to NYU. My parents were like, no. And then I was like, yes. And they were like, no way, we're not paying for it. And I, they were like, go if you want to be an actor, go to UCLA. But one of my sisters went to UCLA, and I felt like I just wanted to do anything but what they were doing. Also, too close to home. I wanted to have like an exciting. I always, and every summer we would travel growing up, so like I saw college as like my, my big trip. Um, even though I had traveled by myself before college. And then I blew my UCLA audition on purpose because my grades, Genius. yeah, maybe I would have, it's like a real iffy thing I would have gotten in on my grades alone. But if they want, if they want you for that program, then you get in. But, uh, I, and then I secretly by myself went and auditioned for NYU because it's not that hard because they have them and they hold auditions in LA. It was at a double tree and it was like one of the first few times that I like went somewhere without my parents like knowing. Um, and they put me in the, I got in. I found out that I got in on the same day that I found out I was going to be on prom court and I was very upset about prom court. I did not think it was cool. I did not think it was exciting. I don't know what prom court is. Like, you're m one of the people who's maybe going to be prom queen. Oh, cool. And then... Um, That's neat. But I told my parents... Does that come from... Were you very popular in high school? I was popular. I was not very popular. 
Sounds like to be prom queen. Right? It, it, as weird as it sounds to you, I, I was prom queen in the end. As It's weird to you, right? Congratulations. Thank you so much. It's not weird to me that you're a prom queen. But it is for most people, and I'm not offended by it. Most but, prom queens don't end up going to comedy, but... Absolutely, and then also, I do not judge people because I, I think I am a great person, a decently attractive person, but people are visibly shocked when I tell them. It's pretty funny. Like, to my face, they are shocked. Um, and I get it. <laughs> I get it. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I was like, my best friends were very popular, and I was like them, and but I just like, was a little less, I don't know. I was really busy. I had a lot of different kinds of friends. Anyways, I don't know which I'm supposed to answer now. Then why you think? I, um, my parents were like, well, you're not going. And then I was like crying. And then, and then also I had to tell them that I was on prom court and my mom growing up had always talked about how stupid prom was. So she was like a little bit annoyed. And it was just a very terrible day. Uh, and I, my parents were like, we, we will not pay for this. Um, which at the time I, I like couldn't believe, but then now it's just like, who the fuck was I demanding that they do this? Um, and then I applied for financial aid and I didn't get any. I got, I had a few scholarships that were all California specific. Um, and they were like, we'll pay for it. Like all, our whole fucking lives were so that we could pay for your college. <laughs> Why would you not go in this state? And I, I looked into selling my eggs very briefly. <laughs> I, was, I was really immature. I could have taken out loans was way too mature. I wanted it so badly, but not enough to like sit down and figure out what it would really take. So I said, I'll sell eggs. Yeah, just enough to sell eggs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but my eggs, I there's like a generator online where you can put in your information to see roughly how much you could expect. $17,000 per egg. Awesome. Awesome. From Jews specifically, because Jews want Jewish eggs. Isn't that silly? Your height, your hair and eye color, your GPA, like all those things. I'll like, give you eighteen thousand dollars right now. Deal. <laughs> I'm. You can't see this, people listening to this. If this makes it in, but I'm reaching in. And I'm getting a bowl. I'm harvesting an egg. Yes, get the bowl. I'm getting my freezer. Uh, great. Um, and then and then it was just like okay, that's. I'm not, I told my parents at Shabbat dinner, which we had to have every Friday, um, I'm not, uh, about the egg thing, and their reaction made me go like, oh, this is more serious than I was taking it, and then, it, I don't remember exactly when I just, like, gave up, but then, I think the deadline you have to accept for UCs, especially since most kids in California go to UCs and most get into a few, so, like, the deadline's super strict, and you have to pick one, and I just, like, freaked out. My parents were going to pay for me to go to UC Santa Cruz to visit it. And I, I just, and I like, and then we went and visited Davis and I, one of my sisters was currently at UC Santa Barbara cause she took seven years to get her undergrad, not for being lazy, just like she just changed her mind a bunch. And so my parents had to pay for seven years of her schooling. And so I, so I was like, I, it can't be Santa Barbara cause she's there. Yeah. Um, but then it was, I just like, we visited and I was just like, ugh. <laughs> I, I like that it's a party school. If I can't go be a professional actor, I may as well go be, because I wanted both of those things out of college. And so I got the like huge party <laughs> and it was great. I was depressed for like two weeks that it wasn't NYU. And then 
I saw the short form improv team perform at my dorm, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go do that. And who did you meet in college that you know now? I met Jace Armstrong. Uh, well, first, we saw uh, Chris Audi. Do you know him? Yes. Um, he oh, was, yeah. he was, He's two years older than me, and he was on the team. He's one of the founding members, and he was the youngest how, at the time. How old are you, by the way? I'm 27. Me too. Um, it's a good age. Things are really starting to happen, but like they better start happening... <laughs> More and faster. Or else. <sighs> um, and then this was the first year that they were having auditions, which was really lucky. And Jace, I met at the auditions. And they had a kind of really intense process where they decided to have a huge audition with two rounds of callbacks. And then all that you got at the end of that was a spot in a quarter long, which is three months, workshop. And at the end of that they were going to pick people to be on the team. Which I think is a great model. That's the it's, same thing as Chips. Really? Mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of parallels with our college improv experiences. Then they were very, very good. No, wait, but I didn't go with anybody who ever amounted to anything. I only went with Mary Sasson. Mary Sasson. No, that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> Gapian. Right, nobody who ever amounted to anything. Were, was C.C. Pierce part of that? He was. Robert Stevens. Robert Stevens. That was Alex. Alex Whittington. There's other... David Harris. Madeline who actually Walter. David Harris did the same group. You know David Harris who yeah. was a teacher at UCB? Madeline Walter. That's pretty um, cool. So Chris Odie. Chris Odie. Um, And then Stefan Tom. Stefan, Jace, and I were part of a group of 10 who were picked to be in the workshop. And we all became friends so fast. I had my dorm friends that were cool, but truly we all, the thing we had most in common was we liked to get drunk, which was enough at the time. Um, but then, and, and some of my dorm friends are, the girls only are still my friends to this day and we all moved in together sophomore year and we cho we like love each other fiercely and we lived together for all the rest of college and then on friday nights i would go do my improv show and bring all the boys back there were never that many girls um and everybody got like the guys loved my roommates and my roommates loved those guys so it was just like a very happy four years of getting to do so much improv and having like almost nothing else to do because Santa Barbara is not an academically challenging yeah. school. How is UNC? Academically challenging wise? Yeah. You didn't have to do it too much. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that crazy? I it's... felt like I could really take entire semesters where I felt like I was doing a lot more like learning how to write independently and doing improv than going to class. You were doing, you were doing that or you wish like you Like I could more? take a very light course load sometimes. Gotcha, gotcha. So when you were in college, did you, like, know you were really going to go for comedy as a profession? I, I think I started to see it. I won class clown, which was weird. For all of UC Santa Barbara? For, in high school. Okay. So, and I wasn't, I didn't really, like, see myself as funny still. <laughs> you were still. both prom queen and class clown? Yeah. Award? Yeah, if I won the class clown award. Yeah, I was. Um, I was also best friends with my two best friends because the three of us were more best friends than all the other best friends in school. <laughs> I think that's a shitty, uh, category. You won yeah. the best friend award. Yeah. There was also a male two, two dudes who were best friends. With who was on the council? Probably a lot of people that I knew. <laughs> 
But I, I just, my school is so big that like, if anybody knew, it was a miracle because there's so many. I love pockets. picturing the guy who's just like, well, I thought it was a pretty good friend with this person. <laughs> well, fun. we didn't win, so sir, um, <laughs> it's been nice being best friends with you since we were two, but we haven't been given the award, so we're no longer best friends. Um, go have fun in college. Um, but I, I like didn't know that I was funny still, or I didn't, or let me say that again. I don't, I wasn't necessarily funny. I think I was just like more willing to be out there, which sometimes is mistaken for funny. I don't know. But uh, I think in college, because of the people I was with, because of Jace and Adi and Stefan and the rest of the people, I thought they were so funny that I wanted to be with them. I, I like, I didn't commit myself to comedy so much as I committed myself to them and wanted to be a group with them doing things. So comedy was like the thing that we were doing at the time and it was so fun and it was so easy. Like I got to join this pre-existing group at a really good time at a really good place where there wasn't other, we had no competition. Uh, the school was very, uh, they would give us grant money constantly because the school had a, an image issue with drinking. So we were a weekend activity that didn't necessarily involve drinking. So it, we just, everything was just very easy and it was just so fun. So I, I don't, I honestly, I don't even know when I picked comedy. And I think too, because I, I realized like, okay, I'm not going to be a child star that's the ship has sailed sadly that was like a really hard thing for me to deal with and then I, I I think I probably looked around and was like I love these people there aren't that many girls so I have this like built-in leg up which is its own issue but I was like I guess this makes sense like comedy makes sense and you were a political science major I majored in poli-sci and then was doubling in comparative literature I didn't get the double. I was like, I'm two levels of Italian shy, but then I, I just changed it to a minor in English. Was that for like any career in mind or you were just like, I'm doing college? Yeah, I just figured if I can't go, because I looked into the BFA program at Santa Barbara and it did not seem appealing to me. Even if I had gone to NYU, I had talked to the like admissions people about being a double major with poli-sci because poli-sci seemed like easy, but like respectable. Um, yeah. And I want, I, it was all like an image thing, which is pretty a lame, a lame way to make your choice. But um, I, I didn't, I didn't want to like just study acting. My parents had like done a number on me of like practical, practical. Um, acting was for the longest time, like something you're allowed to do on the side all you want, but like not a profession because they were like so scared. Um, they wanted me to succeed and it's not that they didn't believe in me. They just like were so scared to enter that thing. So Paul, I, I figured if I can't go to a place where I, what I perceived as an 18 year old who knew very little would give me a leg up in the acting world, then I may as well just get like an education and use that in life. Yeah. Um, I read a lot, so I probably read in some book. I, I really love the book Challenge for the Actor by Uta Hagen. Have mm. you read it? I think I have. It's really good. I, I'm sorry, at this point I can't remember all the Uta Hagen I've read. <laughs> I just read so much. Uh, yeah, um, I'm knee-deep in Hagen. Um, oodles of Uta. Um, <laughs> I, I was in a scene study class for like 
everyone in the class, this was in high school, everyone in the class was on a TV show, except for me. Um, and the teacher taught based off of this Uta Hagen book, like the seven challenges for the actor, like the seven questions you should ask. Yeah. And I think it probably said in that book, like, you know, the actor should take dance lessons so they know their body and should be well-read and educated so that you, you know, so I, I was like, okay, this isn't, it's not a waste. And I think it does train you kind of a little bit totally. better than doing a lot of silly acting stuff. Yeah. To I have some friends that went to conservatory colleges for their tr talent, and it was the right choice for them. One of my friends was just, like, really bad at school. So smart. Just really bad at school. And I was maybe less smart than her, I don't know, but, like, really good at school. So for her, it made total sense to go to a conservatory because it's the thing she wanted. She wanted to train in it and not just, like, go straight to New York City and try to make it work, um, which I think is smart. And she got, like, barely a general education, but she's fine. Like, yeah. it's working. It's great. But she might not be as smart in an improv scene. She might not be as smart unless uh, she starts to make a musical, in which case I think the movement classes that she took at Boston Conservatory will really start to pay off. You'd look like a dolt. I would look like an idiot. It's been so long since I've taken a movement class. Uh, although I want to. It's holding you back. It's really holding me back. But I, I probably at some point in college... I decided comedy was what I was going to do, but I didn't see myself as an individual. I saw myself as part of this, like, unit. Because <laughs> we, we, like, you know, for many years after college, too, we're still on this path, and we've since, like, you know, the band's broken up a little bit. Not for any reason, like, we're all still friends, but, you know, things happen. We get on different paths a little bit. Everybody had to make money somehow, and that pulled some people away, but... For a really long time, that was how I saw it, of like, I am in love with these people, friendship-wise, and I'm, we're gonna, like, be huge. I had so much confidence in us as a group. So much confidence. It's like, we're gonna take Hollywood by storm. You did. Yeah, we did. Uh, so what happened after college? Um, I moved with Give my... Give me the longer story of taking Hollywood by storm. Okay. I moved... Back to the Valley, uh, Stefan, Adi, our friend Josh, who was an actor, but not, not like a comedian, um, and this girl, Georgina, who also went to UC Santa Barbara and was also an actor, all moved into a house uh, in Silver Lake on Bellevue, and Jace and I moved in with our parents because we were both from LA, so it was like, if we can save, if we don't have to pay rent, we're not going to pay rent. And I got a job. I think I went to that house at some point. I'm sure you did. It was group. really, really so much fun when that house was around. I slept at that house all the time because I lived with my parents and we would get drunk a lot. Um, and I got a job because my friend Mikey did, so I, I really wouldn't have thought about it otherwise, as a page at CBS. Cool job. No, Ben. It is not a cool job. It is so sad. I think at one point, being a page ha was respectable and honorable and was a genuine career kickstarter, but that particular program was a broke-down palace run by a lady troll and her junior lady troll, and there just wasn't enough to do, and they hired a ton of people. There weren't enough shifts, so you couldn't make enough money to, like... I felt so bad for the people who had to pay rent. Um, and it was mindless work. You're just a body and you're moving bodies. 
the main thing that you work on when you're there is the price is right. And I like genuinely found myself proud. We were the, we wrote your names on the price tag, name tag. I was like, and to this day, I'm like, that's kind of cool that for a little while, that was my handwriting. Yeah. <laughs> Which was really hard. Fitting Christopher on that thing is so hard. Jonathan and Christopher are very difficult. And you can't put Chris or John because it has to be what's on your license in order for them to legally accept the prize. Oh. I know all about it. It was really disappointing. The, I'll tell you a low point now that you didn't ask. Yes, please. Sometimes we would work on any any of the shows that were on the, the CBS lot, which weren't all CBS shows, and I had to work on American Idol. It was either American Idol or Dancing with the Stars, but both happened in the same room, and you couldn't just stand there and watch, so they kind of blended together. Uh, one of the positions that you had to do when you were a page is go around with a cup and have people spit gum out into the cup because gum looks bad on camera. <laughs> and that was awful already. Not, I am not above doing anything, and I never will be. If it's what is needed, I will, I will do it even if I feel like I should be above it. Maybe I'll feel like I'm above it, but I'll still do it because I yeah. want to be someone who... You're the kind of person who takes pride in writing people's names. I guess, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I... That position didn't really faze me, but Judd Apatow and Leslie Mann came, and I, I'm like a medium fan. They came in, they had VIP seats, I showed them to their seat, they were like nice and normal people, and then I, I like went and had to go with the cup to everybody, but I just thought to myself like, this is not how I want to be in front of this person. This isn't, this job isn't going to get me anything. And the program was like, I think 18 months was the max, and people would like dread getting to the end of their 18 months, like they wanted to stay forever. I think I left after like six or seven <laughs> or something. This sucks. I'm not getting anything from this. I feel awful. And then I bounced. Judd Apatow spitting on my face. Judd Apatow, no, he, yeah. <laughs> I mean, essentially, yes, he spit something while my face was nearby. <laughs> but uh, it just, that, like, that feeling was just like, this isn't enough. For some people, they'll go home and be like, oh my God, I met Judd Apatow. But I was just like, oh my God. I. You want to be working with Judd Apatow. I still do just because I want to make comedy and he's the name of comedy. So yeah, like this isn't the way that it's going to be. Um, and then I started taking classes at the West Side Comedy Theater right at the same time as UCB. And then I took, I started interning at the West Side first probably. And then I started to take classes for free. And I was driving in between my parents' house in the Valley, the West Side, that house on Bellevue, and then CBS for that time. So it was like the far corners of LA. I would nap in my car all the time. I was so tired. I would sleep at, at the Bellevue house so that I could like be closer to work sometimes, <laughs> not just because we were partying. And uh, I masturbated in my car once <laughs> in lot number three next to the West Side Comedy Theater in Santa Monica. I kept a sleeping bag in my car because I would sleep so much. I like kind of enjoyed though. The, it felt like romantic, like I was hustling, even though I had a like nice bedroom and everything that I needed, and my parents paid for everything. No, that does feel like felt you're good. you're on the road. But you know that I did that a lot, like just like false affected, like feeling like I was living the life I wanted, but like you know it was all made up. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so you were done with UCB classes by like 2009? 
No, I graduated in 2009 and I started them at the end of 2009. Probably finished them at some point in 2010. And tried to get on teams at other theaters too? I was uh, in level three put on a house team at the West Side because they let people audition at that level because it was so new and they just needed people. Mm -hmm. And I got lucky and Kristen Palmer, who was another good friend from UC Santa Barbara, who was like part of our unit, she and I got put on a team together. I think we were called Hugs or Bad Hugs or Mad Hugs? Mad Hugs. Um, it was not very fun. Our coach was Colin Sweeney, who is so funny and so cool, but like the team was a bunch of strangers. A lot of personalities didn't mix. We had to practice at my parents' house, which is so far, but that was like the closest we could get. So everybody was miserable having to drive so fucking far. Uh, and I ended up quitting the team and then the team disbanded. And I, that, I don't like quit things very often. I can't really think of other things that I quit so much as things like end. So it was like, pretty bad for me to quit because it was really cool to get to perform yeah the team just didn't really work the theater was awesome and it was like really up and coming and um the best thing i got out of the west side was stand-up i took a stand-up class with kevin garby who was like i don't even think he teaches anymore because i think he makes all of his money off doing stand-up but all he did at the time was teach and do stand-up and he ran a ton of small rooms around santa monica so I took his class and the class and all, he was the greatest stand-up teacher in the world where he just said like, here's what I'm gonna teach you. Take the microphone, take it out of the stand, move the stand to the right or left depending on what hand is dominant. Hmm. That's all I'm gonna teach you. And I was just like, oh, this guy's so cool. Um, and I wasn't like, I didn't know what I wanted. If he, he was like a joke factory teacher, I would have probably still been stoked and would have been that kind of comedian. But the class was so smart, it was just like, you have to come with five minutes of material and do it and then we're going to talk about it and mostly he would just like point out moments that could be tighter like brevity uh and we would pitch stuff for each other and then at the end we each got to do a 10 minute set in like a show at the theater and then he let me and a couple of other students do his shows so i skipped well i chose to but was able to skip the whole like open mic phase and I got to just start. His shows were not like, you know, they're not great. They're at like a bar or a restaurant where people are interested in eating or drinking. Yeah. But <clears throat> just to be able to, you know, have some captive audience and a time slot in a show with a set amount of people was super cool. How has it felt like your momentum in the stand-up world and how does it feel to rise up? Um, in that world? I don't know that I can even be considered in the stand-up world. I think a lot of improvisers think that I'm like a real mover and shaker because I do some. Um, As but opposed I, to most people who do none. Yeah. <laughs> but I have no street cred. Like, I didn't, I didn't come up with anybody in the open mics. I took a class, which like, if people... I tell everyone that because I'm not ashamed and I think it was valuable, but I think there's a lot... Like, people w would look down on it for sure. Like, you can't learn this. Um, I had some good momentum and I was doing the comedy store a lot and I like got an agent from someone who saw me at the comedy store. They were total shit and <laughs> did nothing, but it was like, you know, the things that you're like, oh my gosh, like it seems so Something exciting. fun to report back about. Absolutely. It felt very, very good at the time. Um, 
And and doing stuff at the comedy store when people were interested in me from like seeing me at UCB, I could say like come see me at the comedy store. So that was cool. Um, but then I started working at um, Abominable Pictures, which makes Children's Hospital and all that stuff. And the hours are just awful. Uh, the shooting hours were worse, but because I was an assistant, I was a producer's assistant. I was working like minimum twelve hour days. So when I got on a Herald team. I would have quit if they said they couldn't, they wouldn't let me go. But how could they say that? All of those people like came from UCB, so my my main boss didn't, but he worked with like Cordry and Shear, so he was smart enough and hip enough to say yes, you can leave on Mondays for the shows and on Thursdays. I think at the time we were started practicing, so that was insane. Like no one in the crew was allowed to leave, so I instinctually just basically put stand up on a back burner because. Friday nights when we were shooting, we would get out so late because we'd go late Monday, so we'd start later Tuesday and go later till even later Tuesday. So we'd get off so, so late on Friday, so I was never gonna make a show. And I could have probably tried to still do stand up on Saturdays, but that was my, I needed to party. I need <laughs> to party. So I, I virtually stopped doing stand up for a while. And then when I left that job, I started picking it back up. So I feel like, I'm like stuck in this place of like, when you smoke weed but you're not a pothead, what are you? I can't say I don't smoke weed, but there's when you see meet someone who's a pothead, you're like, well, I'm not that. You are a pothead. Yeah. So it's similar from the way I feel of stand up. Like I definitely do it, and I put myself out there, and I've like done some festivals and competitions, and like I want to do it more, and I'm going to continue to do it, but I don't know. I, I really liked your out. Yeti uh, audition for Just for Last. Thank you. That was very fun. Oh, that's really nice. Um, that's another thing is I really like performing as that character. People won't book me at stand-up shows for that. They'll, Which feels silly. Yeah. But so there's an Andy Kaufman award out there. I I really want... I submitted to that. I really, oh, really wanted to, to get it in. in. I really wanted it to. The only clip that I have is, is it's like pretty vulgar. Not vulgar, but I cuss. So I'm going to try again next year, no hard feelings, and I'm going to make sure that in between now and then I have a set that is clean, which is always a good idea. Um, and that's my, you know, maybe they just didn't like it or they didn't watch it or they, you know, but that's what I'm going to try next year. But that's my thought on it. Um, was it easy to see while you were at Abominable how that was going to like help you in the comedy world? Absolutely. People are interested in stuff that's in the industry. Um, all of the people that I worked for, I won't say respected me more, but we had another thing that we could talk about that they related with me about. Um, and yeah, it's just cool to be, it feels cool to be around it. And just like the like Judd Apatow thing, like I was around it, but in totally the wrong way. And this was still the wrong way, but a little bit a little bit closer, but yeah. not really. And you can't get promoted from assistant to actor, but they totally did cast me. Just being around, being on being on the Herald team, they would never cast me without that, I think. Or no, they probably would have thrown me in as like a joke. Did that feel crazy to get to do roles on, like you did NTSF? Mm -hmm. They were really small, but they were crazy because I didn't have to audition for them and I wanted it so badly and it totally worked. Being the like assistant, doing the like I Love Lucy like 
I want to be in the dance. show. Yeah, it totally like it. I never said that to them. If I had said that, I would have been fired. Like you need to do your fucking job that you were hired to do. Um, but they then knew that also UCB thought that I was okay enough to be on one of their silly teams, and that was their universe. So the cloud all bounced around it. Yeah, yeah, and I've kept it like in house since then. I when I worked for Ben Stiller, the one of the producers is always at UCB. Like the world gets smaller and smaller, and like now at my job, uh, I write for internet comedy. Um, People think that I'm the coolest person ever. Well, they don't think that I'm cool. They think outside of work I must be some cool person because every time someone walks in the door, I know them from something. Because everybody's taking a class at UCB and everybody's doing stuff at the clubhouse. So I'm definitely like super entangled in the like three things I've ever done all really like come around because it's all, it's been comedy for so long now that like it starts to loop back around. Um, and can you talk a little about like what the day to day this you work at Defy Media? I do. And what is the job like? <laughs> um, it's funny to talk about this. Um, not it makes sense, but it's just funny because this is this I, is your I'm life. still kind of new. Yeah, so it's like funny that now this is part of my life. Um, they are a company that owns a ton of comedy websites like Smosh, which is so not a part of our lives. Well, I shouldn't assume. Maybe you're the biggest. I'm fan. a Smosh head. <laughs> um, no. People are smosh heads. It, it's something I, I never even knew this existed. There are Make-A-Wish patients who want to be... Their their dream is to meet these two guys. That's really sweet. It's very sweet, but it's like, that's how big this stuff is now. Um, and I write um, whatever comes by. Like today, I worked on... They also have a, a new kind of like channel called Prank It Forward. Because mm -hmm. we own break.com, so I have to brainstorm prank ideas, which is, like, fun to do, but, like, not my favorite. You know, I'm not, like, I, I think they're good, clean comedy, and I think it makes sense that it exists, but it's not, like, my proudest or favorite thing to work on. And I say that to you. I tried to get you to be one of the guys, um, but I still think, you know, Thank you. you'd be great. Um, and it pays, so that's all. You know, that's the <laughs> thing. I want to do something that is as close to what I want and pays you know, yeah, and this job is fantastic at that. And you've also been a house manager at UCB. Mm -hmm. um, has that been at times uh, challenging or always fun? You know, again, that got me opportunities too. I'm gonna co-host. I'm host co-hosting the open mic with Emily Maya Mills now. That's so cool. Completely because I was around, <laughs> not and because I had done stand up before. So all the people present. When Sean Conroy didn't show up and didn't send a replacement, I said, I can do it. Um, and I got to do it. And then I did it once or twice again because he didn't show up. And then Emily asked me to fill in for her. And now I, I get to be the co-host. That's so cool. But it's one of those things where it's like you have to put yourself there. and you But you can't. You got to do the job. I was just, I think I was actually interning. I wasn't managing, but... Uh, I got to do a little bit in a Paul F. Tompkins show because I was physically present. And that's total luck. That has nothing to do with like my skill or lack thereof or whatever. But uh, I liked it. was It was a good job. And I started doing it when I was still working full time at uh, Abominable. They asked me if I would do it, and it just seemed like such a thing I should say yes to. Yeah. Um, because when I was an intern, I threw out, I threw a drunk person out, uh, like a rowdy drunk person who deserved to be thrown out. So like, hmm, Gilly can handle this. Yeah. 
Uh, I would not have been able to do that. I, I, I would have like so, cried to Cody. I wish it happened more. I love. I fucking. <laughs> I I get very pompous about like the integrity of the performance, and if you 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 are here to enjoy it, and if you compromise it in any way, you are gone. <laughs> um, but I also really like just it's like a very social job. I think I would not like it if it was my full time job. I think I wouldn't like it if it started to feel like the theater was my my place that I'm slave to mm. instead of this like fun. The most I ever did it was twice a week for a very long time. Well, that like can be that can feel like a lot. Yeah, it can, yeah, it can feel it was a lot, and that was always like one of my jobs because I needed to make more money. Um, and the thing that I feel like that I know you've done that I'm most jealous of is. That like last week or two weeks ago, you got to punch up comedy bang bang. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> that's really funny that you would even say jealous of. It was really really fun. I was filled with like an intense deep sadness on Friday <laughs> because like the whole day, which is stupid because I should have lived in the week. Uh, but uh, that was a callback. Um, but I just was like, it's it's over after this, and I don't get to be this. I can't like say. And I'm writing for Comedy Bang Bang anymore. But like that's like the best way to have your name in their heads, I feel like. It was cool. Well, I submitted a packet, which was, I don't even know who decided to put my name in that pile. This is, this is a pretty pompous thing, but I am only writing now because I got writing opportunities. I want to be an actor. I want to be in front of the camera. And also write. But being a writer... Not my, not my goal, but like little things here and there started happening. Uh, Josh Simpson got me my job at Defy. I don't, I've never written, I wrote a, sh I've written some stuff, but like nothing that went anywhere or that anyone saw. So it was all like sheer fucking luck. Josh Simpson recommended me for this job because he didn't want it. <laughs> and the comedy bang bang thing was, it's one of those things where you get the email and you just, the answer is yes, but there's some things to figure out. Do you want to quit your job to go do this like week? No. So I was but very. It's not, but it's not easy to just leave your job no, for to, a week for to go do your another writing job. job to go to another writing job. Yes. Um, and I wonder how other people deal with that, because I feel like people that I've seen above me, like at Abominable, would do that all the time, and they had to make it clear that like even though NTSF and Children's Hospital like were shows that they like. I think it's the show they loved the most, but it wasn't the show that was going to make their career or make them the money that they needed, which is always, like, unfortunately a factor. Mm -hmm. And and they, like, made it clear, like, this show is my last, it's my last priority. Because they had to, because it only lasted for, like, a couple months, and then there's the rest of the year to worry about. So that is not where I am not in that position. So it was very weird, and my boss was super cool about it, and I my whole plan was, like, be super straightforward. And I, I didn't ask, can I, because I was at least that clear of just like, I need, I'm going to go do this thing. Good. Um, and, you know, he wasn't thrilled, but it, it, it's still like kind of weird. This is my, I just did this last week. So now this is the week that I'm back. And it's like, you know, it was a little weird. Uh, and I hope I get, I want to keep this job, but I hope I get more opportunities. I, it's like. That weird thing where you need to look forward, but you need to like deal with the job that you have now. So we'll see how it goes. Um, what's been the acting highlight of your time out here so far? 
Um, interesting. Everything I've gotten, I've been given. I've never booked a thing, which is still like, you can't really complain about that, but it is a weird feeling of like, hmm, strangers need to cast you too. <laughs> uh, but they, they'll get more likely every time one of these things happens. Hopefully. Or like somebody, uh, just like a friend makes it and does me a f huge favor. I, th I, I like, I mean, I hope that happens too. I'm acting highlight. I don't know if this counts, but I did a one person show and it counts. It, it wasn't really a one person show cause I had other people in it. Uh, some of the sketches were just me and then some I had people in it. Uh, and that was really fun because I, Jace directed it, which was really nice of him cause he's now a like real life producer for absolutely, absolutely, which is a lot like abominable. Interestingly enough, we had like a lot of work parallels. Um, so he's like super, super busy and it was super cool to have a good friend direct it and he's a good director and he's so busy we didn't have a lot of time to like hang out but I, that was like a way that I got to like mm -hmm. have my friend come and we like worked on this show and that was really, really fun. That's really cool. It was really, really fun and he also like motivated me to write it because like, I was like not <laughs> keeping up with he he had to be the one to be like you know your date your show was in like two weeks like you know um but i i was really proud of the show and it was really fun to get to run around and do like what i thought was funny with people that i thought were funny um other than that i was in this ntsf web series that alex fernie directed and he i think was probably the reason why I was cast. Well, I was working at the company, so that put me on the table or in their minds, maybe. Uh, and then he cast me. And that was fun. Does any moment stand out as being a time that you were discouraged out here in LA or felt like things might never happen for you? Um, like once every month. Okay. I'm not like, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Um... There wasn't ever a, a, well, first of all, I'm from LA. So that is a funny thought of like, if I give up, where do I move to? I can't, like, I'm home. Uh, I've never, it's never been so bad that I thought I might quit. I've auditioned for mod teams four times, three or four times now, haven't gotten it. Two, got two called, I think four times. Twice got called back, twice didn't. And I was bummed. But I like, I'm gonna try again. And that also, you being on a team already comes into that helps. I, yeah, that helps. But you know, or I mean, I think that that is part of probably the decision making and whether you get on a mod team. Uh, Maybe I, 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 don't I don't know. I didn't have good callbacks. Okay, that that was probably <laughs> a bigger decision. But uh, there's, it's very you know, you may. There yeah there's. There's all the things that you didn't get, but that's kind of part of the reason why I always want to like have something on the docket that's coming because then you can always feel hopeful and that's making it on you instead of on the thing. I'm just like, well, I need to keep moving. But, uh, I'm trying to think cause I feel sad often, but then I stop feeling sad. <laughs> uh, you know, our, our Herald team may get broken up. Uh, I may get taken off. 
in the years past that filled me with like a dread that sent me into like a really bad mental sadness headspace um this year it feels a little more calm because we like already kind of beat the odds um but I would be very very sad to not have like a standing engagement of a show and I will try to figure something out so that I do and I don't know what that is but like I will be very very sad and it will take me a little while but then I will try to like immediately just like get another thing yeah I'm trying to there must be some I think it's just like all the things that you didn't get but you could just like imagine if you got it oh my god like <laughs> and then this would happen and this would happen and you get to tell people and then you get to do it actually like do the thing which is obviously the best part um, I really wanted to do Boom Chicago for a hot second. Not a hot second. I really, really wanted to do it. And I got a call back and then didn't get it. But the person who did get it worked at Abominable 2, Laura Chin. Mm. And I ended up taking over her job, which at the time I was like, not only did I not get it, but I have to take the job of the person who did. But it was like, it wasn't my spot. And also, that job was kind of a, it was like a lateral promotion mm -hmm. or a longitudinal, I don't know. It was like a sideways promotion and uh, it ended up leading to good things. <laughs> so it turned out for the best. And it turns out Boop Chicago, well, from what I hear, I can't really say. Some people say it isn't like quite what it used to be and it yeah. is more short form, but I fucking, I know, I think I would have loved it, but like, yeah. you know. It I seems up your alley. But then right after that, I got on it, I got on Winslow, you know, like. It's all those, like, open a window thing. And do your parents get how encouraged they should be by all this stuff happening? The things that I've had happen to me are very cool to me. And I'll, like, I think they're, like, cool in general, some of them. But nothing, nothing has happened to me that my parents can, like, immediately understand what it is. Because it's just not their world. Um, but, uh, yeah, I would love it if I could give them news that's, like so big that they understand it <laughs> and I don't have to like explain why it's exciting <laughs> uh, they they're like be, proud they should be so excited about what? everything yeah they should, be so, they should be excited about everything I mean I play when I go home my dad plays the piano and the accordion and I'll sit and play heart and soul with him and he thinks I'm the most talented musician in the world <sighs> and I don't know how to play anything so I get plenty of, like, praise, but, like, with this, the thing that, like, matters to me the most, they don't understand. Um. And that's okay. So if you were making a vision board for, <laughs> um, something that you hope comes true, that when people are listening to this five years from now, they're like, that thing happened! Ooh. I'm gonna... What are you... Okay. I'm gonna answer this question, but before, I'm gonna give this precursor. I... I try to be very confident and like say what I want, but I also have this weird thing where I, it took me a really long time to say I wanted to be an actor out loud. I lived the life of somebody who wanted to be, I was like taking these acting classes and stuff, but like I was made by society to feel like it was like bragging to even say you wanted to be an actor because it's like saying you think you can or you think you're cute enough or good enough or whatever. And that, I don't think that came from my parents. Although they, they made acting seem like it wasn't like allowed to be a profession. They like encouraged me to do it and told me that I was good and stuff. And I think they believed it. Yeah. <laughs> but, but 
that has led me to be careful. Like, I won't even say like, if I'm on a diet, I won't even say it out loud because if I've said it out loud, then I'm, then I'm on the hook for it. I get that. I'm still, that's my own stupid thing. And now I'm going to answer your question. I would like to appear on a television show that is staffed. When I say staffed, I mean like being made by and cast with other people who I think are funny. Probably some of those people would mean they're UCB people. Um, and I would like to not necessarily be a writer on it. Well, yeah, I guess be a writer on it, but not on the hook to write a whole script. <laughs> uh, to be like part of the creative writing team, like part of the like in the room pitching stuff. Um, that is my real dream. I don't even know if that's really like a job. Like Rene Goubet is a writer and an actor, which is insane. But he is like contracted to write stuff. I would want like a little more low key. <laughs> I mean, he must be so tired. I think what? He must be so tired. Oh, yeah. Um, but I think the job you're describing exists. Okay. Yeah, I think so, too. And I'm excited for you to put that out into the universe. Yeah, I would like to appear on a television show and be a part of the creative team. But specifically, I will say yes to literally anything. But specifically, I would love it if it was with a team of, you know, people that you like to spend the day with. And more importantly, probably, people that, like, you... Th that I think are just super funny. Um, I would also, in the next five years, like to be, to have gone on a stand-up tour, whether I plan it myself and just go places or not. Yep. We're putting it on the podcast Put, vision board. Putting it on board. the podcast vision board, on, uh -huh. on the Pinterest of careers. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, do you feel like, is there anything we haven't talked about that you might have hoped to? Just my fish. Over the course of the last three hours. I know, my God. You have a fish? Um, in your fridge. Oh. <laughs> Not a pet fish. Nope. Gilly, thank you. Thank you. This is beautiful. I really liked learning a lot of things about you I didn't know. I, uh, I really liked the parts when you taught me stuff about you. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. She's a pretty neat lady, huh? Uh, one cool thing that's happened in the month since our interview is that uh, you remember how Gilly was worrying about uh, getting taken off of Winslow or Winslow being uh, pulled apart as a team? Well, her uh, team Winslow was officially made into a house team at UCB, and you can now see them performing live every uh, other Tuesday at 10.30 at UCB Theater Sunset. So she now has a permanent spot at the theater, which is kind of something you got to hear her wish for. If you want to find more Gilly-related links, you can find them at onthecusppodcast.com. 
Special thanks to Cece Pierce, my producer, to Casey Trela for all the music in this episode, and to my sound editor, Joe Burge. This has been On the Cusp. That's your outro music.